screen. My life is infused with the good of God. I know that as I turn to God, God turns to me. I allow all the divine bounty of the universe to come to me. I am grateful for all that I have, and as I express my gratitude, I know that my good expands. I allow spirit to lead my life into a greater and greater expression of my good. And so it is. Woo! So I heard a great question last Thanksgiving, and the question is this, can I really be grateful for everything? That's kind of a tough one, isn't it? It's really easy to be grateful when our life is going well, but sometimes our life is not going exactly the way we think it should be, and so it's hard to be grateful at those times. And what I have learned is that God is always looking out for my good. God is always moving me towards my good. And in the times where I can't see what I have to be grateful for, I have to trust that my life is being moved anyway. And six years ago, I um, was dating this guy, and I was very in love with him. And, you know, about halfway through our relationship, he stopped showing up. And so this went on for about four months, and I was doing my prayer work, and, you know, I was pretty disappointed, as you can imagine. And... um, what ended up happening is my employer came to me and said, you know, we want you to move. We want you to move to Washington, D.C. And in my mind, this relationship was over, so I was like, yes, I'll go. I just had this, like, deep sense of inner knowing that I was supposed to move to this um, place where I didn't know anyone except my cousins in Washington, D.C. And, you know, everything lined up. I moved, and, you know, I found a dog walker, which was high on my priority list, and sold my house right before the market crashed. And so, you know, my life just kind of moved. And I went there, and um, it was a lot different than what I expected. You know, I, um, I inherited a bunch of people. Some of them were resentful that they had not gotten the job that I got. And um, there was just all this chaos that was happening. And I kind of felt like I gave up my life for this, and I was really sad about it. I was kind of like, just like, ugh, like, you know, why did I do this? And, you know, over time, you know, I could probably talk for a half an hour about everything that happened, but over time, you know, there were a lot of blessings, but it also just really showed me how out of balance my life was. It's like I worked all the time. I had no personal life to speak of, and um, I was pretty sad about that. You know, I just felt like, you know, what's this about? And You know, I had a cancer scare, and I had all this other stuff that was happening physically with my body, which was really just, you know, my body taking it on for my, um, what was in my mind and in my consciousness. And so, ultimately, that is what caused me to consider and to actually go to ministerial school, because when I was just kind of sitting with my life, I had to be honest and say, you know, like, my life, I am not choosing what I say is important to me in my life. I don't live by the people I love. I'm not really practicing what I spent, you know, many years studying for as a practitioner, and I had declared that I was going to be a minister, and I wasn't doing it, you know, and that was really the thing that got me to move, and I remember my best friend saying to me, you know, Amy, I don't think you could have gone to ministerial school and been in Chicago and worked. I just don't think it would have worked. You just had too much in your life. And I think it's, 
I think that's right. But I, what I also know is that there was something in my heart that needed to change. You know, it's like I had to realize what was really important to me, you know? And so I know that God will move our life because that is how my life had to move. And, you know, I look back on that now, and I'm really grateful for it. I'm really grateful for even the stuff that, you know, we would say wasn't good because it's like my life was moved and I was changed on the inside. And in Science of Mind, we do teach that God is always seeking to give us our good. And we need to be ready to receive it, though. So God has always given it, but it's a question of are we receiving it? And, you know, I notice all the time that God is much smarter about I am than what I need in my life. I might think it looks a certain way, but then it shows up looking different. But it's even better, you know? And I love the song that Dawn sang this morning, To God Be the Glory, because really that's at the heart of gratitude. Is like, you know, we just need to be grateful that there is this higher power that is moving and guiding our life. We live in a universe that's full of possibilities. It's full of abundance. And so how do we work to align ourselves with that, to what we really want to have and experience in our life? So first, we understand spiritual principle, and we work with it. We understand that we do live in a universe of abundance, and that our good is always happening to us, even if we can't see it. Second, we focus on the abundance and practice gratitude for that which we have. So as we turn to God, God turns to us. And finally, we release any sense of victimhood or not enoughness, and we allow our good to come to us. So it's really a question for all of us. What do you do with the life that God gives you? You know, do you believe in a higher power that's working for your good, or are you a little skeptical? Do you believe in scarcity? Do you believe all the things we see on TV about how bad everything is? Or do you want to choose to see the world a different way and just be grateful for it? At Bodhi, we teach a metaphysical interpretation of the Bible, which basically means we believe the stories are symbolic and not literal. So there's a famous parable in the Bible about the talents. Some of you may be familiar with this. And um, basically, a talent, as we think of talent in the modern sense, or as a talent, it's like a gift or a skill that we have. But in the ancient times, a talent was actually a coin. It was a form of currency. And so from a symbolic perspective, it represents the currency of consciousness, And so when we look at the story of the talents, we're told that one person was given five talents, and he took those talents, or she, and multiplied them, and it became ten talents. And the second person received two talents, and they took those two talents and doubled them and had four talents. But the person who only had one talent did nothing with that talent, And even that talent was taken away from them. Now, I want to be clear. We don't believe in an external punishing God here at Bodhi. We don't believe in that. We believe that that we are part of God. And so when we say in the story that that talent was taken away from the person, it's really that they didn't see it themselves, so it wasn't present for them. So they couldn't see their good, so it wasn't there. So it's really about where their attention was. So the first person in the story with the five talents had a real spiritual consciousness, and they were really practicing spiritual principle in their life, 
and they took the outer gifts of spirit and they cultivated their inner life and they used that to multiply the consciousness, the awareness that they had been given. The second person in the story had some knowledge of spiritual law, but they were kind of inconsistent in their practice. So they, you know, we would say they doubled what they had. That's pretty good. But um, they were still not consistent. And the third person in the story took the talent that they had and held it close to them. So basically, they were in a place of being a victim in their consciousness. They didn't believe that anything different was possible for them, so nothing else happened. And so when you think about this story and we think about it in our own lives, it's like we all get to choose which person in this story we're going to be, right? Are we going to choose to be the person who focuses on cultivating our inner and outer life and using spiritual practices to do that? Or are we going to be the person who's maybe a little bit more inconsistent and doesn't do it all the time, but you do understand the spiritual principles and you use them when, when you think of it? Or are you going to choose to be the person who holds everything close to you and doesn't trust that there is spiritual law um, working on your behalf? And I know for myself, I need to continuously remind myself to be doing that because we all have areas in our life where we don't, our muscles not as strong. You know, for some people it's relationship, for some people it is their money. You know, it is different for each one of us, and we just need to constantly remind ourselves to choose, to put out what we want to come back. So let's talk a little bit about the spiritual principle. So in this quote from um, Matthew 13, 12, it says, For whosoever has, to him shall be given. And so from a metaphysical standpoint, we're talking about consciousness or awareness. And what we're trying to do is we're seeking to cultivate that awareness of spirit and spiritual principle, and specifically what we call the law here or the law of cause and effect. And it's what some people would call the secret, if you're new to Bodhi. But really, um, in its simpler, simplest form, it's the idea that what we put out comes back to us. So we want to be putting out what we want to have come back to us. And when we speak of abundance, we're really speaking about inner abundance. I mean, it might manifest as outer abundance too. There's nothing wrong with that. We love our outer abundance. But we're really talking about having a sense of abundance in your heart, like deeply knowing spirit in your heart and really being at peace in that. And we're really seeking to deeply know God. We're cultivating this relationship. We're trusting that God is our source and that God is bringing us everything we need And we are aware that what we put our attention on, what we put our thoughts on, what we put our focus on is what happens in our life. So we talk here a lot about a mental equivalent. And a mental equivalent is the idea of what you want. And it may not, it's not necessarily like, you know, I want a red Lexus car or whatever. It's more like, you know, I I know that... um, I have the divine right transportation. It's less of a specific thing, and it's more of a general thing. So we want to always keep our mental equivalent of whatever it is that we're working on focused on that, that we, what we want. You know, we don't want to be saying what we don't want. And um, when we think of cultivating this consciousness of whoever has, I'm reminded of a statement I shared on Thanksgiving, which is um, actually the words of Ernest Holmes, and it's a little bit of a... um, can be used like a mantra. So I'm going to just ask you to repeat this after me. I did this on Thanksgiving, but I think it's so good I'm going to do it again. So there is only one life. That life is God's life. 
That life is perfect. That life is my life now. So when we live our lives and we pray from that place of knowing that we are already one with that, that we seek, knowing that we are already one with spirit, we really open up the channel for things to happen in our life. And it doesn't mean that our life is perfect, but we move through the things that happen in a different way. So, you know, let's say we're having a money challenge. It doesn't mean that that instantly goes away, but we move through it differently, and we build our muscle of awareness about focusing on what we want. And this leads me to my second point, which is that we really want to practice gratitude for what we have already. I think it's easy, you know, we're in a culture that we're a little bit of an entitled culture sometimes, like we believe we deserve all this, and Um, You know, I know for myself that when I left my corporate job two and a half years ago, I was pretty spoiled. I'm just going to admit that. I, you know, was used to that paycheck showing up every two weeks, and it was a nice paycheck, and I really took it for granted, and I didn't worry about money. And then I made the decision that I was leaving this, and, you know, I was lucky I got a landing pad. um, But, you know, there was a point then when my checking account balance started to go down. And I remember saying out loud, my checking account balance is going down, you know, and I know better than that, you know, and, and, you know, it was the truth in the world of form, but it's like, do I really want to be focused on that every day? My checking account balance is going down. Something is wrong with my money. It's like, no, I don't want my attention to be on that. I want my attention to be on, you know, what I'm trying to create in my life. And, you know, thankfully, I have a lot of people in my life who remind me when my thinking gets a little crooked. You know, I have a practitioner, I have prayer partners, and there's a lot of people who are around me reminding me that God was my source and that things were going to work out. And, you know, it really made me so much more grateful. It made me grateful that I had a roof over my head and that I could put food on the table. And it made me realize how good my life was and how many people don't have that. You know, it just made me so much more grateful to go through that experience. So I just invite you to think about whether there's a place in your own life that you need to practice more gratitude. Is there some place that you're just feeling like, you know, it's not abundant? So, and is there an opportunity for you to know that God is your source and that your needs are being met? And that's really spiritual principle. As we turn toward God, God turns toward us. So how do we use this spiritual practice to anchor the truth and to know that our good is always unfolding for us? Well, we might use a gratitude practice. Great time to talk about gratitude, having been Thanksgiving. You know, and some people actually have a formal practice where they write down in a journal what they're grateful for, or they speak it at the end of the day, or they share it with each other if they have a life partner. Um, But for me, prayer is probably my number one gratitude practice, And we teach affirmative prayer here at Bodhi, which is a five-step prayer. And the fourth step is gratitude or thanksgiving. Um, And we are giving thanks knowing that our prayer is already fulfilled. And that, to me, you know, gratitude has a generative power. So if I already know that I have it, I bring more of it unto myself. And so if we take the time in our life to see what we already have, we will bring more good to ourselves. And finally, we need to release our sense of victimhood and our sense of not enoughness and allow our good to flow for us. I think this is really pervasive. You know, that's in the story of the talents, the person who didn't see what they had, you know, it wasn't even present for them what they had because they didn't see it. 
you know? And I think sometimes we keep our good from ourselves because somebody at some point told us that we weren't good enough. In Science of Mind, we teach the four kingdoms of consciousness. So the first kingdom is what we call victim consciousness, and it's that my life is happening to me. So everything is happening to me. I have no power. I am a victim. The second kingdom of consciousness is um, by me. So it's a very, like, it's a very active kind of going out and creating its sort of consciousness. The third kingdom of consciousness is through me. So we begin to co-create with spirit what we want our life to be. We allow spirit to work in our life, and we let it work through us. And the fourth kingdom is as me, which is basically, you know, the Christ consciousness, the Buddha consciousness, the consciousness of someone who's really, you know, ascended to the highest level of knowing their oneness with God. And, you know, probably if we think about our lives, we might have some places where we're a little bit of a victim, and we might have some places where we're really doing it ourselves, and then we might have some places where we're just letting God do it for us. And I know in my own life, I um, felt some, non, uh, some victimhood and some not-enoughness in the relationship I had with my last um, boss. I used to call him my bad boss. And that was because he would, you know, he was very ruthless and he would, you know, you'd meet with him and he'd be nice to your face and then, you know, someone would leave the room and he'd be like, off with their head, you know, whatever. And so I was trying really hard, you know, I really wanted him to like me. I would do all this extra stuff for him and it didn't seem to be working. And, you know, one day I realized he was really my good boss, not my bad boss, because my relationship with him made me realize I was in the wrong place. You know, and then I got grateful because it's like I got grateful for what was happening because I'm like, you know, the truth is I'm not supposed to be here anymore. You know, and it took another, you know, six months for that actually to become a a reality. Um, But, you know, I knew that for some reason my life was meant to be moved. And trust me, I had no idea what that looked like. None. It's, I did not have a plan. I just trusted it. It's probably, you know, it's one of my best examples in my own life of that. But I want to talk a little bit more about this not enoughness idea because I think it's so pervasive. And for some of us, it's like a quiet voice in our head that we don't even know is there, you know. And maybe someone said it to you. Maybe someone said to you, you weren't smart enough or you're not young enough or you're not thin enough or you're not you know, whatever it is, enough. Maybe that's a voice that someone else put in your head and you believed it, you know? And look at what happens to you when you get stressed. You know, it's like, what's the voice that comes up in your head? Is there a voice of not enough that comes up in your head when you start to get stressed? In How to Change Your Life, Ernest Holmes said, you may never have admitted that you felt inferior to others, But there probably have been times when you were timid, shy, reluctant, or fearful about attempting something. These are evidences of a thought pattern deep within you which silently suggests that you were inferior. And you accepted that suggestion, even if you didn't put it into words. To truly know yourself is to realize deeply, sincerely, and constantly that you are made in the image and likeness And these qualities are inherent in you. How then can you be inferior to anyone? It is impossible. You not only have, but you are. Life, love, wisdom, intelligence, creativity, beauty, and joy. If any previous experiences have made you feel otherwise, 
know that whatever they are, memories of them are now being cleansed, and from now on you are asserting your dominion over any negative thinking which would keep you from your greater good. And I especially love that line that says, and you accepted that suggestion even if you didn't put it into words, because that's what I think happens. Like we let these thoughts come into our consciousness and kind of drive the car. So, you know, I have to share a story about Thanksgiving. So, um, and this is kind of a story about my family's story about me. So, you know, we went to be with my family on Thanksgiving, and my boyfriend was with me, and he had never met my middle brother. I have five siblings. I have three brothers, and my middle brother has been mad at my sister for at least a year now, and so he just hasn't been showing up for anything, and so we pull in, and I see his car there, and I'm like, wow, I think my brother Michael's here. I mean, I'm not sure. I think that's his car. And so anyway, we go in, and after a little while, he is sitting talking to Chris, and he says, I'm the black sheep in the family. You know, he just, like, called it out. He's like, that is what we say about him, by the way. (laughs) And he said to Chris, he goes, my sister has terrible luck with men. (laughs) And and she was married to the biggest, and I'm not going to say what he called him, but, you know, you can fill in the blank, that I ever met in my life, you know. And, you know, it's funny. I can laugh about it now. You know, but nine years ago, before I started studying our teaching, and maybe even a few years ago, I would have believed that, that that was the story about my life. But it's like, I don't choose that story anymore. That's not the story I want to have, you know? And we all have places like that, don't we? We all have places where we've bought someone else's story about ourselves. So we really have the opportunity to let those go. So... You know, we really need to be in our practice. That's pretty much the bottom line of all of it. We need to be in our practice. We need to be in prayer. We need to trust that God is happening in our life, even when we can't see it. And we need to trust that there is an intelligence that's moving our life. So I just invite you to consider what thoughts about yourself or your life are you being called to let go of? And are you ready? Are you ready to do that? Okay, I want a big yes to that. Are you ready to do that? Okay, are you ready to cultivate your awareness of God as your source on a daily basis? That wasn't as loud, okay? The next one, I want it to be loud. And are you ready to practice the generative power of gratitude? And so it is. So let's pray. So how good it is to know God, to deeply know from a place within ourselves that our good is always happening, that love is always happening, that we live in a universe that is for us. I'm reminded of the words, if God is for us, nothing can be against us. And I know that this is the truth, this is spiritual law. And so as I know my oneness with God, I know the oneness of each person in this room with the God of their being, with this infinite love that is seeking to express as their lives. I just know and claim for each person here that there truly is a breakthrough in their consciousness of enoughness, 
in their consciousness of knowing the goodness and the gratitude of their lives. I know that God is leading each and every person here, and so I know that it is all good. I just claim a shift. I know that there is a shift. There is a shift in our individual and collective awareness about what is possible. And I just know that we celebrate this. That is what gratitude is about. We celebrate the good that God has given us. And so I am so grateful to know that God is moving the life of each and every person here. I'm so grateful for all the breakthroughs that are happening. And I'm so grateful to know that God is saying yes to us in each and every minute. And that is the truth. And with so much gratitude for all of this, I simply let this be so. And so it is. Amen. Thank you, Reverend Amy. I'd like to invite our usher greeters down for our offering. And as they come forward, I usually give um, electronically. I'm a, I'm a computer guy. But I decided to take a dollar and put it in here today because I want to be in the practice of blessing the talent. It's not about the amount. It's taking my consciousness to that space that Reverend Amy spoke of. So let us do that as we bless our gift. I invite you to hold it to your heart, whatever it may be, energetically or intangible source. What I know is that God is what is. God is the source and the supply of it all. And so let that bless us as we 